Would you turn uh, in your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 18? Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18, and we'll read uh, from verse uh, 1. Acts chapter 18, and we'll read from verse 1. If you could put your Bible ribbon uh, in that particular place, uh, that would be helpful because we're going to refer back to it uh, this morning. So, Acts chapter 18 and verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household, and many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many people in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names, and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal, and they all see Sophonies, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal, but Gallio paid no attention to any of this. And then let's go to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And if you put your Bible reading in Acts 18, put your finger in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, because we'll be flicking back and forth uh, between these passages. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 1, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sothenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We know God will bless the reading of His Word. So, this morning I want to begin a series of studies in Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. It's a letter that is becoming increasingly uh, relevant in our day and generation. The issues addressed in it are as modern as this morning. The inspiration of Scripture, the use of charismatic gifts, marriage, divorce, remarriage, the resurrection of the body, divisions in the church, the role of women in the church, Christian giving, and even the pastor's salary. All these subjects and more are dealt with in this epistle. I have called the series... Behave yourselves. 
because Paul is writing to a new church, uh, an infant church, and he's telling them to behave like Christians. It was written by Paul from the city of Ephesus between the years A.D. 54 and 56, and therefore it comes as no great surprise to us that in this epistle Paul has to deal with all the difficulties of a young church living in a pagan world. By way of introduction this morning, I want you to notice three things, the location of the church, the formation of the church, and the difficulties of the church. So first of all, then, the location of the church. You will notice in verse 2 that Paul addresses his letter to the church of God that is in Corinth. Now, today, Corinth is a town of little significance other than historical. However, in New Testament times, it was a thriving, prosperous, and strategically placed city. If you look at the map there, you will see that Greece is divided into two a southern part and a northern part by a narrow strip of land. And if you can think back to your GCSE geography, your, if you're older, O-level geography, if you're very old, your leaving certificate geography, uh, you will know that that's called an isthmus. An isthmus is a tiny piece of land, narrow land, that joins a, a bigger, uh, two bigger uh, parts uh, together. In, in New Testament times, all trade from north to south, including that passing through uh, from Athens, had to pass through Corinth. Added to that, since sailing around the southern tip of Greece was extremely dangerous, a journey of 250 miles, what uh, merchants used to do if they were moving traffic from the Ionian Sea to the Adriatic or vice versa, they would pull into one side of the isthmus, uh, they would unload their cargo and then load it on another ship at the other side of the isthmus. In fact, some very small ships, there was a system that they were taken out of the water and dragged across that four-mile isthmus on a system of pulleys and rollers uh, to get to the other side. Today, there's a canal uh, across the isthmus, which incidentally was begun, begun uh, in, under Emperor Nero in the first century and wasn't completed until the end of the 19th century. So then, uh, Corinth was a busy commercial city situated on a busy trade route, not only from north to south, but from east to west. It had been destroyed by the Romans about 200 years before uh, Paul's visit was built a rebuilt a hundred years later by Julius Caesar, uh, who recognized the strategic importance of its location. It had a cosmopolitan uh, population with Romans and, of course, Greeks and many uh, Eastern merchants who had settled in that city to make money. It had a sizable Jewish population. In fact, archaeologists have recently discovered in the old city, a door lintel dating uh, from the first century that bore the inscription Synagogue of the Hebrews. And if you visit the city museum, you can see that lintel on display. In the ancient world, there were two great uh, athletic competitions. There was the Olympic Games that were held at Athens, and there was the Isthmus Games that were held at Corinth. 2,000 feet just behind Corinth stood the temple of Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of love. 
That temple held 1,000 temple prostitutes who every night descended into the city to ply their trade uh, in this busy commercial crossroads. In addition to the temple of Aphrodite, there in the city itself was the temple of Apollo. This religion glorified the male physique and its worshippers, the worshippers of that particular um, God, were known as God's beautiful boys. In other words, some... uh, Corinth was the San Francisco of the ancient world. Uh, It was the capital of homosexual activity and promiscuity. In fact, if you want to know what Corinth was like, just read Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 32, because Paul wrote Romans while he was in Corinth, and he could uh, look out his window, and he could see all that he describes in Romans 1. Uh, pagan philosophy, pagan idolatry, homosexuality, evil, covetousness, malice, murder, slander, the breakdown of families, uh, a ruthlessness dominated uh, the society. So identified, in fact, with promiscuity was Corinth that the noun uh, was uh, Corinthian was used of a prostitute, and the verb Corinthianize meant to engage in immorality. It was a wicked, wicked place. Corinth was a rough, tough place to be a Christian in the first century. The location of the church to, uh, to the church of God that is in Corinth, strategically placed but morally corrupt. The second thing I want you to notice this morning is the formation of the church in Corinth. Paul came to Corinth around A.D. 50. Did he choose it because of its strategic location? With all those trade routes passing through, it was an ideal location for the gospel to filter out to the wider world. Did he choose it because of its wickedness? If, If lives could be transformed at the center of wickedness, what an impact that would make on the watching world. So equipped with the promise of the Lord Jesus that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it, he went to this stronghold of Satan, this outpost of hell, of hell armed nothing with the, but with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as he preached that gospel, the gates of wickedness fell, lies were transformed, and a church was established. So whether for strategic or moral reasons, Paul came to Corinth uh, on a second missionary journey and a church was uh, established. Look again at verse 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth. We don't realize today how shocking that statement would have been uh, in the first century. A church in Corinth. How unbelievable. How incredible. A church in Corinth to to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. Now, when we think of sanctification, we think of that process that God works uh, upon a Christian, transforming them increasingly into the image of His Son. But the word sanctified at its most basic level simply means to be set apart. And in the Bible, you have uh, the progressive sanctification where somebody is increasingly transformed through the power of the Spirit into the image of God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. But there is also positional sanctification, which describes 
the effect of the gospel uh, on, a, uh, on a human heart where God sets that person aside, separates that person for himself. So these people were in Corinth, but they were also set apart. They were sanctified in Christ Jesus. Geographically, they were in Corinth, but spiritually, they were set apart. They were sanctified in Christ Jesus. They had a dual location. They were in Corinth, but they were also in Christ. And it was through the preaching of the gospel that uh, transformed these people, put them into Christ, and separated them onto Christ. Uh, Paul, when he arrived in Corinth, he says in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 3, when I came to Corinth, I came to you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. The great apostle Paul trembled at the prospect of what lay before him in this outpost of wickedness, this, this city of Satan. He says, I trembled. But we read in, uh, first, uh, in Acts chapter 18, and maybe you want to flick your Bible ribbon, just turn back uh, there, uh, how God sustained him. And I actually ended up staying 18 months, a year and a half, the longest time that he ever spent anywhere in this city preaching the gospel. Look at uh, Acts 18 uh, and verse 9. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, do not be afraid. Now, if the Lord said to him, do not be afraid, you can be sure he was afraid. Remember, he said, I came in, uh, in weakness, in fear, and much trembling. The Lord said, do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. So he was tempted to backpedal, to softpedal, maybe even retreat and withdraw from this outpost of hell. Uh, but the Lord says to him, for I am with you. He was encouraged by the presence of God, for I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you. He was encouraged by the protection of God. He knew that God was looking after him. And then, and this is, I think, very significant, by the purpose of God for I have many in this city who are my people. Do you see that? For I have many in this city who are my people, and he stayed a year and six months teaching them the, the Word of God. That God came and reassured him. Remember, he had just arrived. There was a only a handful of converts at this time. Crispus, the synagogue ruler, had been converted. But God comes to him and says, look, I have sanctified, I have set apart many in this city for myself. And they're going to come to faith. They're going to be born again by the Spirit of God. They're going to repent and believe the gospel. And the church will be established. And so Paul, although he came in fear and weakness and much trembling, is encouraged by the knowledge that God is working His purposes and His plans through him. In other words, grace triumphed, and a church was established. The purposes of God were executed, and a people uh, were saved, and a church was established. And what a church! Turn with me to chapter 6 for a moment. Chapter 6. Remember the wickedness of the environment in which these people are converted out of? 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 9. 
Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor those who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And notice verse 11, and such were some of you. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified, set apart. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. In this church, there were homosexuals. In this church, there were adulterers. In this church, there were thieves, slanderers, and swindlers. The moral outcasts of any Jewish uh, synagogue. They were all there in this church. Sanctified. Washed. And justified. Such were some of you. Grace triumphed in this city. The purpose and the promise of God was fulfilled. And the many in that city that God had set his love upon came to faith were baptized, and were added to the church. Can you imagine our church like this? A person sitting beside you was a practicing homosexual. A person sitting beside you was an adulterer, a thief, a pedophile. But they have been sanctified. They have been washed They have been justified, justification clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That was the church in Corinth. Or let me give you another example. Notice how in verse 1, Paul addresses his letter, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sothenes. Now, when you turn back to Acts chapter 18, you discover at the end of, uh, well, from verse 12 on, that Sothenes is the new synagogue ruler. So the synagogue ruler, Crispus, had been converted, so his position became vacant. Sothenes is his replacement, and Sothenes is the one that brings the charge to the Roman governor against Paul. He initiates the charge. And the Gallio just dismisses him, and, and either the Jews who were uh, annoyed with Sothenes for stirring up opposition perhaps against the Jewish community, or uh, maybe the Roman soldiers themselves, they, they beat him up. So here's the new ruler of the synagogue. He's the, the, the one who initiates the whole uh, uh, charge against Paul. He's beaten up severely beaten up, and, uh, and yet by the time of 1 Corinthians, he's a Christian. Sothenes was a very unusual, very rare name in ancient times. And the fact that Paul mentions Sothenes knew, uh, indicates that they knew who, who he actually was. So here is a man who is in opposition to the gospel, verbally, fervently opposed to the gospel, and Bang! He's changed, and he's converted, and grace triumphs 
once again. The Lord had said, I have many in this city who are my people. And as Paul ministered in spite of the hostility at times, uh, these people one by one came to faith. We talked about the presence of God. I am with you, the protection of God. No one is going to attack and harm you, the purpose of God, for I have many people in this, this city. What about the power of God, the power of the gospel to break into people's lives and change them and change them permanently? Remember Paul wrote um, Romans uh, uh, from Corinth while he was in Corinth and the description that he gives in Romans 1 of, the, uh, of sin Uh, the universal nature of sin, he could see unfolding itself in Corinth. But he begins that letter, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And Paul had seen that power unleashed and he had seen that power demonstrated. He had seen these broken lives put together, forgiven, washed, sanctified, and justified. And he had seen this man who was so hostile and and so ferocious in his opposition to the gospel, he had seen that man converted too. That word par in Romans 1 is the Greek word dynamos from which we get our word dynamic or dynamite. The, The gospel is explosive. It can turn people upside down. And sometimes, you know, sometimes I think we lose confidence in the power of the gospel, don't we? We lose confidence in what the gospel can do. We, we think of um, Putin. And sometimes we pray for judgment on Putin. Do you ever pray for his conversion? Do, 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 you, think, do you think that Putin could be subdued by grace and brought to the feet of Jesus? Well, Sothenes was. Or we think of Sunak, who was in his trip to India said that he was a proud Hindu and he attributed his success to some Hindu God that I can't pronounce. Could could God break into his life and conquer him by grace? Of course he could. Or Biden, who has changed his position on almost all moral issues in order to stay in office, including abortion and transgenderism. Could, could God subdue him and conquer him by grace? Of course he could. God can do it. We need, as William Carey says, not only to attempt great things for God, but to expect great things from God. Can I say to Christians here who are often tormented by the past, look at what Paul says in chapter 6 and verse 11. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. They were in Corinth, but they were also in Christ. And, and maybe you've come here weighed down by f- failure over this past week. But God can forgive you, and God can cleanse you, and God can wash you and sanctify you and and justify you. And there may be some people here this morning who aren't Christians, and you're saying, you know, um, I've gone too far. I have gone too deep. 
God could never forgive me. Listen, you're never too bad for the mercy of God, and you're never too far from the kingdom of God. He will wash you, sanctify you, and justify you. Maybe there's somebody here like Sophonies, and you've been a rebel, and you've been shaking your fist in the face of God, and you've been a a proponent for atheism, and you're saying, oh, no, 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 God wouldn't want me. I've defied him too much. Well, think of Sophonies, transformed by the power of the gospel. The church at Corinth is a testimony to the triumph of grace in a center of wickedness. The location of the church, the formation of the church, and the difficulties in the church. The reason why we have so much of the New Testament is because of problems that arose uh, in these infant churches. And so Paul and the other authors of the epistles are writing to correct this aberrant behavior. Now, Paul wrote his first letter to the Corinthians to deal with certain difficulties that emerged in the church. And you get little hints of that even in these words of introduction. So look at verse uh, 2 again. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Do you see that? He's stressing, even in that introduction, the unity of the body of Christ because the Corinthian church wasn't unified. They were were divided. They had a divided membership. Look at verse uh, 11. When he, or verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, that you may be united in the same mind and with the same judgment. Here was a divided church. They were bickering and they were fighting uh, over uh, who they should follow. They were fighting at the Lord's table who would get enough food. Uh, they were taking, even, taking each one to court. And, and Paul writes this letter to correct that behavior. And he says, don't you know that they call on the name of their, the Lord Jesus and he is both their Lord and ours that we're one in Christ Jesus, that we're united together in the gospel. So there was the difficulty of a divided membership. Secondly, there was the difficulty of a a defiled morality. Look again at verse 2. He says, um, called to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. Called to be saints. And that word saint is the word from which we get holy, set apart, set aside, holy. And Paul's writing to them, and he says, don't you know that God has called you to be holy in this wicked cesspool of Corinth? God wants you to be different. He wants you to be a holy people. And so when you come to chapter 5, Paul takes this head on, and he says in verse 1, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among the pagans, for a man has his father's wife. That there was a man in this congregation that took his stepmother as his lover. And something that wouldn't even be tolerated among pagans in a pagan society, not even in Corinth. And they were boasting about it and they were proud of it. And Paul says, don't you know 
You're called to be a saint. You're called to be holy. You're called, as Robert Murray McShane said, to be as holy as it's possible for a saved sinner to be. John MacArthur, in his commentary, says that Paul's object in writing this letter was to de-Corinthianize the Corinthians, to de-Corinthianize the Corinthians. They were in Corinth. That was their location, but unfortunately, Corinth was in them, and it affected their behavior. And isn't that our problem today? We are immersed in a world that uh, all day we are bombarded with sexual, uh, materialistic, and godless information through social media, through the television, through newspapers, through radio, radio, and through music. And although as God has saved us, we are in Christ, we're still in Corinth, we're still in the world, and we allow the standards of this world to infiltrate us, to affect us, and to set our agenda for living. God calls us to be holy. He calls us to be saints the difficulties that give rise to this letter, a divided membership, a defiled morality, and doctrinal ignorance. Notice again verse 1. Paul says, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. Now, Paul only asserts his apostolic authority. He's not boasting, oh, by the way, I'm an apostle. He's, he's asserting his apostolic uh, uh, authority because he's going to give them doctrinal instruction. He's saying, now, as you read this letter, remember I'm speaking to you an as, as an apostle with all the authority of those men who have been called by God to lay a foundation for the church. Now, it seems that the church uh, had written to um, Paul and asked him certain theological questions. So, in the second half of the epistle, in chapter 7, verse 1, he says, now concerning the matters about which you wrote. And so he deals with those issues doctrinally, one by one, marriage, food sacrifice to idols, the Lord's table, the gifts of the Spirit, the uh, resurrection from the dead. And what Paul is emphasizing there is that his answers are apostolic answers. They come with the authority of God Himself. Uh, this isn't my opinion, he says. This comes with the imprimatur of heaven upon it. So here are the difficulties that give rise to this letter. A divided church, defiled membership, uh, doctrinal ignorance. I sometimes laugh when people criticize the church. You know, I don't like Balamina Baptist. They're a bit snooty. <laughs> They're a wee bit too awkward or, you know. Listen, that's the church. You think of the churches in the New Testament. What, what church would you want to belong to? Do you want to belong to the church at Philippi? Well, that's the church I think I would want to belong to. But there were two women that fight with each other and disturb in the church. Would you like to belong to the church at Ephesus? Well, that was a good sign church. But they had forsaken their first love. Or the church at Galatia, the churches at Galatia who, who were actually abandoning the gospel. Or the church at Corinth with all its messed up, confused understanding and thinking. And yet Paul addresses his letter, and this is really remarkable, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. They were still a church 
with all their imperfections, with all their shortcomings, they were still a church, the church of God. You know, if you, if you uh, ever find the perfect church, don't join it, because the minute you join it, it will be imperfect. The only perfect church is in heaven itself. And God calls us to be here, to muddle along as sinners together, trying to implement the Word, trying to mold our lives upon the Scriptures, and to live for His glory in a pagan world. There is a thing, I think, that has crept into certain churches where they have developed a perfectionist ecclesiology. Ecclesiology is the doctrine of the church, that the church and church members ought to be perfect. My friends, that's a fallacy. We're just sinners who muddle along and try and help each other the best that we can to get to heaven through molding our lives upon the Word of God. Don't, don't be swept along or uh, taken in by anybody who tells you that there is such a thing as a perfect church because wherever you have people, you will have problems, and wherever you have people, you will have imperfections. We're not perfect. The pastor's not perfect. Well, <laughs> you know that so well, don't you? He's a bit odd uh, from time to time. James is not perfect. Josh isn't perfect. The elders aren't perfect. Elders make bad decisions and wrong decisions from time to time. They're they're not perfect. They're not infallible. The deacons aren't perfect. Sunday school teachers aren't perfect. None of us are perfect. But we're the church of God in Balamina Baptist, and we work to conform our lives to the Word of God and live out the gospel in the community in which He has placed us, to the church of God in Corinth, to them sanctified in Christ Jesus. Amen.